Hey, before we get into today's episode, I just want to give a quick disclaimer and let you know that we are talking about death and dying. These topics can be triggering, but if you feel ready to go ahead and dive in, settle in, grab some tea, some coffee, whatever helps you feel nourished as we talk about this topic today. All right, see you in the episode. Bye. One of the primary limitations, I think, is that we are pathologizing the human experience Mm -hmm. to such a degree that people think there's something wrong with them when really what's happening is they're just experiencing what someone who is Mm -hmm. in their position would naturally and organically experience. Mm -hmm. And what we don't have is an adequate understanding of what that is like and how to help people in it. Hello and welcome to the Empress Podcast. I am your host, Jessica, known in the online space as Jess the Empress. I started this podcast to help you be present with yourself, cope with chaos, and simplify your life. I do this by combining psychology, behavioral science, and the tarot. I have a background in mental health, specifically a master's in clinical social work from USC, and I'm a professional tarot reader. So get ready to have a nurturing, creative, and empowering experience with me as we use practical magic. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Empress Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you. I'm excited. I have a special guest with us today, Liz. She is one of my really good friends We met in grad school in 2015, so this was like forever ago, it feels like. It does feel like a long time. Yeah, but Liz, will you let us, the audience, know who you are, give us your working title, and also listeners like to know zodiac signs, so what is your zodiac sign, if you know it? (laughs) So um, I'll start with my zodiac signs. I am an Aries sun, Sagittarius moon, Virgo rising. She knows all three. Which makes for a very interesting uh, combination. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got a whole lot of other interesting stuff in there. Um, So my title is I am the co-founder and spiritual director of Empowered Endings, which is a company that my husband, who's a physician, and I work in partnership together. And then I'm also the founder and counselor for Voyages, which is my spiritual counseling practice. So cool. So when we were in grad school, I know that we were both um, kind of figuring out like where we wanted to land in the social work field, right? Which you and I know it can be so broad. You know, you can do anything You'd be like in business as a social worker, helping people as a social worker, you know, the classic idea of a social worker, like, you know, child protective services. Um, But you landed here, like where you're at now. So can you just tell us a little bit about your shift into this work, Empowered Endings, Voyages? What does that even mean? For sure. Um, Yeah, I love social work. It's such a great field because there's so much that can be done and there's so many different kinds of people and so many different fields in which people can make a really substantial difference. So I think it's a phenomenal field to be in. I feel really fortunate to to consider social workers my peers and to be able to do the kinds of things that we get to do, which include, for me, I think helping people in a way that is both one-on-one and also structural, social, community-oriented. So 
it really balances the ability to support people in their individual experience of life with also the desire that I've had um, that I think a lot of us share to advocate for a better world and a place mm -hmm. where people can have what they need without necessarily needing all of these extra layers of support or you know having to navigate all these layers of challenge that our society comes with. So mm -hmm. um, I ended up because I had already been studying um, spiritual counseling and bereavement and pastoral care in my in my first uh, master's degree, I wanted to find the space where spiritual counseling and social work intersected. And so I kept kind of coming up in um, end of life care and in mm -hmm. hospice care and in palliative care. I started doing research and I started working in that field and I found basically my calling. I yeah. realized that this is where I belong. This mm -hmm. is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, and it, and it was an interesting intersection of a lot of years of education and professional experience combined with a lot of my own personal journey, yeah. healing from illness and trauma and loss. Um, and all of it just kind of came together really beautifully. And, and so where we are now with Empowered Endings is we've created, we've been working, my husband and I have been working together in, in our medical practice, which is a holistic medical practice that supports people in palliative and end of life care. Mm -hmm. We've been doing that for the last six years mm -hmm. and we have noticed just extraordinary transformation in people's lives, in the patient's lives, in their family members and loved one's lives, and even in the lives of the providers that we collaborate with. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, we thought, what are we doing that, you know, is so uncommon or that's so unusual that it's mm -hmm. creating this tremendous impact. Mm -hmm. And we started studying what we had done and how we had done it and why we did it the way we did it and, and started systematizing it. Mm -hmm. And now we're um, launching our Institute, the Empowered Endings Institute to help teach community members about what we've learned, um, healthcare professionals about how we do what we do and, and we're writing a book, uh, Permission to so Choose. Amazing. So we're going to hopefully be able to move the needle in end-of-life care and help people understand how important it is to have a physician involved and how mm. important it is to have doulas and companionship, guidance, spiritual and emotional and grief support, and all of the different options that are available to people. Yeah, that's so beautiful, right? Because I think you and I both know like education, um, awareness of choice, right? Being able to make an informed decision as an individual is empowering. And people don't even know where to start finding the information or what they even have available to them, what their actual rights are. So being an advocate for people is so powerful. I feel like these episodes are so eye-opening for so many people that are coming up to this place in their life where they're considering their own ending, right? They're considering their death, the death of the families, loved ones, people. And it's just like, what choices do we have around this? Like, I don't even know where to begin. So that you are, again, I like the practical language of moving the needle because realistically, you you probably would agree that this industry has a long way to go. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, hospice is a really powerful benefit. Palliative care has been built in now to our traditional healthcare model and insurance model. So there's more available than there used to be. Yeah. Speaking sort of strictly in modern medical terms, um, but there's less available than there really used to be. So mm. speaking in terms of the human experience yes. and the history of humanity, 
end-of-life care used to be a community-oriented, home-based, natural and organic process. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of holistic, connective, supportive opportunity that has been lost by the medicalization. And so part of what we're trying to do that we think is really important is humanize the whole experience Mm -hmm. so that people not only can find the information that they want to need and then chart the course that they, you know, that aligns with their goals, wishes, values, and resources, Mm -hmm. but also so that they feel safe doing it so that they realize their human experience in it so that they can connect with their, whatever it is, their emotional experience, their grief, their journey, their loss, their love, all of it. Yeah. And that brings us to the second question, which is like, can we can we really define grief? Like in your experience, is that, is that even possible? I think I just want the viewers to, and listeners to, yeah, consider that. Like, what is that even, is it possible? I love that question. (laughs) Um, so one of my primary concerns with our society today and all of the gifts of modern medicine and everything that we can do for each other because we understand things the way that we understand them. One of the primary limitations, I think, is that we are pathologizing the human experience Mm -hmm. to such a degree that people think there's something wrong with them when really what's happening is they're just experiencing what someone who is Mm -hmm. in their position would naturally and organically experience. Mm -hmm. And what we don't have is an adequate understanding of what that is like and how to help people in it. So specifically to your question, no, I really don't think, I mean, there are people who would define grief and there are ways in which we can define certain aspects of it, common themes, common experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did a lot of work on understanding grief and David Kessler has done even more. And all of those are really valuable tools. But I think where we get lost is when people start comparing their experience to what they might've read or seen, Mm -hmm. which is a tiny little snapshot of what is actually happening and what has happened and what might happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I don't think that helps very much Mm -hmm. because really grief is about intense, like powerful experiences. Mm -hmm. They don't fit into a box very well and trying to put them in a box doesn't help. Right. Yeah. Because then to your point, um, everyone is like falling into comparison and then being like, well, if my experience doesn't match the way so-and-so did this or what I heard it should feel like, or be like, then there's something wrong with me. And then we immediately go back into the pathologizing our own experience when it, the reality is whatever you're feeling in any given moment is valid because that's your personal experience of grief. Right. Yeah. And I think too, one of the things um, Thich Nhat Hanh spoke about the, the um, two arrows, the first arrow is like the circumstance, the thing that happens that hurts. Mm-hmm. The others are the ones that we shoot ourselves with when mm-hmm. we react to our own response to that thing. So mm-hmm. if we lose a loved one, of course, it's natural that we would experience a lot of different things. Sometimes deep sorrow, sometimes even relief, maybe gratitude, maybe anger. There are all kinds of things that people will experience. Mm -hmm. And if we worry about it and start saying to ourselves, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way, or I don't want to feel this way, start resisting Mm -hmm. that experience. I think that's when it becomes harder because instead of allowing ourselves to be where we are, we're trying to pretend or make ourselves be somewhere else. And that never really works very well. 
Yeah. So that judgment is then the second arrow that we're pointing and putting back into ourselves on top of the, the, the hurt and wounding that we're already experiencing. Exactly. I love that analogy. I think that people are going to be like, oh God, <laughs> I'm like kind of thinking of like, you know, and reflecting of like, oh, I've, I've hundred percent done that multiple times in my life, but that's the journey of compassion, right? Is realizing like, oh my God, that second arrow is pointing right at me and I'm doing it to myself. I need to be compassionate here and allowing and giving myself permission to just be real, like to your point of, um, you know, not judging whatever yeah. is happening. So you're mixing a lot of spirituality with what we all have to go through, right? So people are finding this to be a more spiritual experience and more holistic than I would say like the, the like whatever the regular clinical model is that seems mm -hmm. to be divorced from spirituality. Is there a way that we could define spirituality? What do you think about that? Oh, yeah. No, I don't think you can define that either. <laughs> I don't think anything, you know, that really brings up like a, a robustly ex uh, existential question mm -hmm. is ever something that anyone can define. I think Same. we can talk about our experiences. We can mm -hmm. certainly define aspects of it um, and we can communicate about it because we have to using mm -hmm. those symbols and helping to kind of put puzzle pieces together. But everybody's spirituality is different. Everybody's understanding of spirituality is different. And I mean, some people have a, a really, really rich intellectual spirituality, while other people have a really deeply embodied spirituality, and some people have a combination thereof. And it just, I think, is a matter of the practices that resonate with each person, and then engaging those in your life and letting those take you on your journey, or letting them be tools for you in your journey. Yeah, I love that. In your counseling sessions with everyone, and we know that it's different per person, um, but we're talking about opening up to experiencing a lot of emotion and wrapping your brain around something that's sort of hard to do. Um, so I'm imagining that there's a, a certain amount of support you're giving um, that contributes to the transformation that people have in working with you. Cause going back to what you were saying at the beginning, you're like, Whoa, this is so transformational for like pretty much everybody coming in and getting the support that you and your spouse are giving. So what, um, what lends itself to this transformational process? Like, what is it that you're doing? That's different. <laughs> that's a great question. I think at, at the foundation of all of it is really deep connection. Honestly, mm -hmm. I think a lot of what um, the traditional medical model doesn't offer is the opportunity for providers to really deeply connect with their patients and also mm -hmm. with the patient's system of support. So mm -hmm. family members as sort of the primary caregivers and the people who are helping to navigate. Um, you know, when you have a doctor's appointment, they're in and they're out and they're on the subject of whatever brought you in and that's it. There's no mm -hmm. getting to know you. There's no finding out, you know, more about what informs your particular goals and needs in that mm -hmm. particular space. What we do is it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, if you're a doula, if you're a nurse, a social worker, a you know, communications hub, whatever role um, someone has on our team, we take the time to connect with people and not just with the patient, not just with their disease process, but with the whole person mm -hmm. and with all of the people that are part of their journey. And mm -hmm. I think that is what is most transformative along with having choice, as we've already talked about, you know, being informed about the options 
and um, having the freedom to really chart your own course. Mm-hmm. That brings that agency brings a lot of dignity and peace of mind. But I think the connection is really the fundamental key because when people feel connected, they're safe and mm-hmm. resilient and mm-hmm. able to explore these really deeply challenging, sometimes very personally painful spaces in a way that doesn't feel as scary. And and sort of to the point of the arrows, right? Like if you're holding someone's hand as you're walking through the valley of the shadow of darkness, you're less inclined to judge yourself or be afraid or get angry and frustrated at the circumstances and much more inclined to be able to be present with yourself because you're receiving that connective reflection that is an invitation to come back to you. And then Mm -hmm. you get to take whatever course is, you know, organically inspired within you Mm -hmm. is that becomes what you do. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I know that um, as existential dread is like one of these things that people are like terrified of. And I think that sometimes people feel like if they do enough work, whatever that even means ahead of time, then they won't have this feeling or that they can just like push past it. But I mean, the fear of death and dying and loss are very real, very normal things. Um, But like, is there, are there things that you like tools that you share with people or mindset shifts that you offer to sort of help people open up to the dread, the fear of of the loss and ending and grief? For sure. I think ultimately it's all about the relationship that you have the relationship Mm -hmm. that you have with yourself, the Mm -hmm. relationship that you have with the people that you're potentially going to lose and Mm -hmm. and the relationship that you have with death itself. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, and and grief too. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of the the mindset shifts have to do with really connecting with the person, getting to know where they are Mm -hmm. and then helping them understand, get clear about where they want to go and Mm -hmm. then walking that particular journey. So like some people are, really afraid of confronting the idea that death is coming to them, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get really anxious or panicky when people, you know, talk about it and it's just uncomfortable. There's mm-hmm. maybe even this feeling that like talking about it might make it more real mm-hmm. and and it's scary. So being able to connect with that person, if they're interested, right, in shifting the relationship, if they're asking for it. Sure. Um, being able to connect with them and understand what it is really that is making them afraid, like naming the things that are evoking that emotional experience and then working with them on understanding those things differently, changing the nature of their relationship. So someone might be really concerned about no longer existing, Mm -hmm. about what happens when they die. They really like their life and their sense of self and Mm -hmm. they're afraid Mm -hmm. that when they die, that'll go away. Mm -hmm. So exploring with them, how they might understand like the evolution of their identity mm-hmm. within themselves, whether they have a spiritual practice or belief about what comes next mm-hmm. or also in life, like with the grieving loved ones, how mm-hmm. they can create a legacy that also is evolving and that allows those relationships with their loved ones to evolve over time, even after they're gone as an example. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Again, just pointing towards the freedom to choose. Yeah. To explore. And I think that is so beautiful because I feel like 
when we don't have that freedom, that's when we just, again, have that arrow pointed right back at ourselves, locking us in to an experience that we really need to open up to, right? It sounds like it. That's, I mean, that's definitely been my perspective. There are also people who are very happy to be where they are and who yeah. are not really open or interested yep. in exploring further. That's totally okay too. Yep. There, there are a lot of different ways to do it. For me, I can't not explore. And so the people, the, <laughs> the people who come to us are the kind of people who are interested yeah. in understanding what's possible on that front in a way that maybe they don't otherwise know how to find. Of course. And I think that's the, that's like knowing your audience, right? And like, who's your ideal right. client and like marketing to them. But um, yeah, I think the listeners of the podcast are the same, that they're, they're people who kind of teeter on the edge of these sort of taboo things, like, cause society makes a lot of what you're doing. Um, even the holistic pro approach and yeah. you know, all the thing, the witchy things or spiritual things, it is sort of still, even though it's a little bit more mainstream, having these real conversations in a confronting way, even if you're tiptoeing time and time again, like exposuring, <laughs> exposure yourself to it, it's still confronting, you know. I know something that we had talked about um, off camera last time, though, was something that you had said people want to die how they live. And yeah. I was curious if you could expand on that for everyone listening and watching. So a lot of the people that we connect with, part of what drives them to find us is that they have lived empowered lives. They have pursued their dreams mm -hmm. and they have built something meaningful that they want to preserve, whether it's their family or their career or some combination or some other thing. And they've done it on the basis of gathering all the information, figuring out what their values are, what their goals are, and applying their resources and their understanding of themselves to the circumstances mm -hmm. so that they can create something that really works for them. Mm -hmm. And and that's very much what we do with people. Mm -hmm. So in the traditional healthcare model, you get what you get. And if you don't like it, good luck. Mm. And if you need more, also good luck. Mm. Um, and what we're trying to do is create a space where if you don't have what you need, we can find it. Mm -hmm. If you don't have what you are looking for, there's a way to connect with it. There are people who have those resources, who have been through that process, who know how to support you in whatever this particular thing that you wish for is. So for example, um, end of life options are one of the things that are not available everywhere, um, mm -hmm. but are an Im important and powerful opportunity for people to have agency and dignity in their end of life journey. Mm -hmm. A lot of the people and this is just anecdotal, this is not on the basis of any research that's been done, but um, a lot of the people that we've supported through that process, through medical aid and dying, which is legal in California where we practice, a lot of the people who've gone through that process are people who lived in an empowered way mm -hmm. and who want to have peace of mind. They want to be able to end their suffering before it becomes unbearable. Mm -hmm. And that's very much consistent with the way that they've lived their lives. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of parallels on that front and others as well, like people who have holistic lifestyles who want to have acupuncture and massage therapy and other quality of life enhancing 
therapeutic relationships as part of their journey, Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily available everywhere. Mm. It's something that you can find, but you don't have, it's not necessarily easy to find and different Mm -hmm. communities have different levels of support in those particular realms. And so Mm. we want to create an environment and, and what we've done is brought together a community of people who can provide all of these different holistic options, every kind of support, whether it's medical, clinical, or otherwise to help people align their journey with their lifestyle. I love that. Yeah. Because to me, it's, I never even really thought about how abruptly your dying experience can be like in terms of you're living your life a certain way, you've had the freedom to choose. And then all of a sudden you're moving into a new phase of your still existence right? In terms of a physical body. And then all of a sudden, like you don't have access to those things. They're just like taken away from you. And you're like, wait a second, like, what is this? Why can't I still have the things that, yeah, yeah, I love that, that you're really just, I think fighting for people in such a beautiful way of, and advocating and being like, no, you should be able to have this up until the time that you can no longer say that you want it. (laughs) I think that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the other interesting points is there there are a lot of people who have had experience with dementia lots of different kinds of dementia um and who have concerns about what might happen to them if they get Mm -hmm. dementia so helping people understand what they can put in place and how they can help prepare their family to support them in ways that are again consistent with their their goals their values and their lifestyle um just being able to talk about things like that is yeah it's not something that you can necessarily access in the traditional healthcare model. Mm, yeah. So what are some things um, that people can use to better prepare themselves for a peaceful death? I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure if somebody says they want a chaotic death, that's on them and they'd have to tell you that's what they want. But I think <laughs> most people probably want like a peaceful one. Um, but like making sure that they're surrounded by their preferred experiences. Other than working with you guys, like what would, where would somebody even get the ball rolling in that area? I think the easiest thing to do, which requires no resource outside of yourself, is to really imagine what you would want to experience. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people can be in hospital or at home. They can be alone or with loved ones. They can be receiving treatment up to the last minute or letting go of curative treatment so that, you know, in favor of comfort care and quality of life experiences. Mm -hmm. So imagining what it is that you might want to experience, kind of connecting with yourself, your future self, um, and understanding what might feel good if you are facing the end of your life, if you are sick in some ways and you are recognizing your own mortality, what would you, what would you want? Would Mm -hmm. you want to be in your home? Would you want to be surrounded by your loved ones? Would you want to have music as a part of your experience? Mm-hmm. Would you want to have touch, massage? What kinds of things do you want to have a doctor who mm-hmm. is readily available to help support you clinically? Do you want to um, go to the hospital every time something happens? Or do you want to try and stay home mm-hmm. if that's possible and you can get what you need? So really just envisioning, I think mm-hmm. would be the first thing, envisioning what you may wish for, mm-hmm. who you may be at that time and who you may wish to have with you um, would be a great start. Then there are also things, resources like Five Wishes um, on our website, empoweredendings.com. We'll have tons and tons of resources to explore 
what the options are and and deeper consideration. So, you know, just free resources where people can get a better sense of what's possible or probable mm -hmm. and then how they might relate to it. Um, and, and then the advanced healthcare directives, you know, there are medical documents that people recommend completing early on yeah. so that you have a sense, even if you're nowhere near the end of your life of what you may wish for, if mm -hmm. something were to occur, being willing to kind of confront those questions and ask yourself today, mm -hmm. and this is just today, how would I feel? What would I want? What would that look like? And what can I put in place to support myself having that experience later? Yeah, that's really beautiful. I, I think it is, again, going back to the theme of being empowered. Why not think about it now while you're so okay to while do so? Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. So you guys are making a lot of changes in the death industry itself. And if there's one area that you could focus on, what would it be? And also we have... 10 minutes left and then we'll like hop back into the second half. Is that fine with you? Totally. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so I think there are two, well, one would be hard to choose. I have I know, a few. I know. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell so us all. I think one of the most important things is that doctors need to be a part of end of life care. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, when someone is nearing the end of their life, their doctors typically refer them to hospice and doctors are not really engaged in hospice care. They're a part of it, but they're not meeting the patients face-to-face -face on a regular mm -hmm. basis. They're not available to family members to answer questions. And there's something really powerful about having a person with that level of training and experience and frankly, authority, mm -hmm. sitting down with you, listening to you, understanding what you want and need, and then mm -hmm. helping you achieve that. That's something that is really healing. Mm -hmm. And that's what doctors are designed to do. They're, mm -hmm. It's a healing profession and being able to connect with people and understand what they want and need and then help them achieve that mm -hmm. is an act of healing. Mm -hmm. So having doctors involved in whole person, trauma preventative, culturally competent, personalized care would be my number one thing. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that I think would be really fantastic would be to have doulas legitimized in the medical field as has been done in the birthing field. So, you know, the birth movement went mm -hmm. from taking um, birthing out of hospitals between mothers and doctors only and putting it into communities. So there are birthing centers into the home. Home births are now supported. There are doulas and midwives that have different roles in that process to add the emotional, spiritual support companionship mm -hmm. alongside the clinical needs. Mm -hmm. So having that companion guidance, I think would also be really, really valuable. Mm -hmm. um, there are tons of doulas, a lot of people, some people who are retiring from medical professions and yeah. going into doulaship, tons of people who are really passionate about providing that bedside companionship, family support, legacy, ritual, exploration, care. Mm -hmm. um, and there's really no mechanism other than serving as a hospice volunteer yeah. um, at this point. So mm -hmm. having that be available, I think would be really valuable. And then the other two things um, are really integrating family support 
mm-hmm. into how we provide for end of life care, making it a community experience again, because right now it's basically just between doctors and patients and that's mm. not, or nurses and patients, and that's really not enough. Um, and, and options, all mm-hmm. of the options that we talked about, the quality of life enhancing options, the holistic therapies, the end of life options, giving people choice so that they can navigate the path the way that they want to and need to in order to feel whole yeah. as they are transitioning. So I love it. A lot of changes. I think it's great though. I mean, honestly, I feel like it's going to, this topic is and your points are going to provoke people in a great way to really decide for themselves what is right for them instead of just sort of falling in lockstep with what they're told to do or thinking that that really what's presented is the only option. And they're like, Oh, I gotta guess, guess I gotta do it. Cause that's it. And you're just like, actually, um, no, <laughs> there's a lot of other things out there. And still, if people feel very moved by this conversation to jump on board and be a part of the change, because I'm, a lot of my listeners are parents and for their kids and for their children's children to have these options as well. It doesn't happen if, people don't do anything, you know, it's us on the ground making effort for it to happen and be available in their lifetime and lifetimes after. It's so cool. Yeah. And it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, palliative care, which is now a recognized field of medicine didn't exist 30 Mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. And now it is very much a part of regular hospital care, community-based care, all different kinds of support is available that never was before. So yeah, we're really hoping that that's part of what we're doing is to create this new field of medicine and support mm-hmm. a change that will allow people to have more of what they need or more options, at least in navigating yeah. their journeys. I think it's beautiful. Oh, our next question is, could you just share with us actually, not more of a question, but like, yeah, share with us how this work has transformed your personal relationship with death. Oh my goodness. I almost don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, so I, I studied a lot of philosophy and theology and I had a lot of ideas about death mm-hmm. um, and about life. Um, and the experience of being with people who are dying and being with their loved ones afterwards it, it made some of those ideas just evaporate into thin air and it made wow. some of those ideas feel really, really real. Mm-hmm. So like one of them, for example, is um, my, I, I experienced some really profound losses in my life and I was, you know, in my own grief journey, which was really painful and really challenging. And one of the things that I really struggled with was, was whether or not there is something of that person still after they're gone and how Mm -hmm. to conceptualize that and what to do with it. And when I first experienced the the most profound loss, um, I, I was left feeling completely bereft. I mean, Mm -hmm. I felt like, like a part of my soul had been ripped from my body and I really didn't know. I felt so lost and so lost from that person. I really didn't know how to connect with them or how to stay connected to the version of myself that I knew through the relationship that we shared. Mm. And um, it it was going through these journeys with other people and learning kind of 
through the experience of being with others Mm. and hearing their experiences and witnessing their pain and helping to guide them through in whatever ways I could, that I came to realize who I was, what Mm -hmm. I needed and Mm -hmm. what I wanted out of my own grief journey. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really powerful because there were so many different end of life journeys and grief journeys that I got to witness at a really deep personal and intimate level. Mm. And all of them somehow informed me in my own journey. Um, and, and has, they've all helped heal me. They've all helped me differentiate from versions of myself that, you know, no longer were in service to my highest good. They helped me become versions of myself that, um, I was able to to deepen the embodiment of mm. beliefs and practices that I had trusted for a long time, but maybe at a new level was able to establish roots with. Mm-hmm. Um, so just bearing witness, being present, and really taking that as an honor, as a learning opportunity, mm-hmm. as much as a giving and guiding opportunity um, has profoundly transformed my experience of life, death, grief and kind of everything related to it. Yeah. And how does it inform the way that you live on a day-to-day basis? Um, I know uh, that I, I think that sometimes there's just like these like preconceived notions about like, oh, you're in the death industry. So you're probably just like jaded and all these things. But it's also like, no, I don't think that's true. Um, especially my just personal experience knowing you. But yeah, how does it inform how you live on the day-to-day? quite the opposite. It's mm-hmm. the, it's the most life affirming work I've ever yeah. done. Wow. Because honestly, people who are facing their own mortality are in a space of presence. Mm-hmm. They're just driven to a, a presence with themselves and with really, again, life at, mm-hmm. at like as a whole mm-hmm. at a different level. And, and there's nothing more powerful than I think being able to embrace death Mm-hmm. There's nothing more life affirmingly powerful than being able to embrace death. And mm-hmm. so as I've witnessed people and walked with people in that, I've come really to appreciate that as much as I can in my own life. So I also am informed by having um, had a, a really traumatic sudden loss mm-hmm. where the notion that like tomorrow is a possibility was just sort of ripped from me and my awareness and I've been able to integrate that there is likely a future, but also live with the awareness that if I'm not living today in a way that I would be happy if I died tomorrow Mm. and I have something to change for myself. I love that. Yeah. Girl, people are getting so many (laughs) nuggets of wisdom here. Like I'm so excited for the listeners. So what are some foundational resources as we're wrapping up? What are some foundational resources that you would like to share with listeners in death and um, about death? And like you guys listening and watching links are in the show notes per usual. So as I know your empowered ending sites begins to grow, that link is live. So they'll be able to just check back in and see what you offer on there too. Awesome. So yeah, I mean, for, we have a ton of resources on our website, Mm -hmm. um, our, also our social media, we're, we're kind of moving forward with a new, um, push for helping people connect with us and connect with those resources. So definitely you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, go to our website, check things out. Um, but that's just us. And there are a ton more resources too. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of great books and everything from, 
the very spiritual, like the Tibetan Book of the Dead, mm-hmm. to the much more sort of modern medicine, practical Atul Gawande's being mortal. Okay. Um, we're also publishing our book, uh, Permission to Choose, hopefully soon. So that mm-hmm. will be another resource. Yeah. There are tons, I think, of communities of people talking mm. about it and and interested in getting other people to talk about it. So there's things like death cafes, which are local, all over the place. It's a um, a community based kind of structure where people get together and have conversations about death and dying that mm. are um, really about helping people think about their own experience and and understanding and relationship with death and helping them to explore that in a safe community-oriented nurturing way. Yeah. Um, there are even resources like grief yoga um, where, you know, you can go to uh, different places and, and receive support guidance in somatic experiences that are wow. specifically designed to help support you in processing these really deep and intense emotions around grief and end of life. So wow. I'd imagine everyone's like crying in that yoga <laughs> I am yeah that they've got to be really powerful yeah be really really powerful coming out reborn I bet wow I bet yeah (laughs) and I think too there's something really you know that I think so my experience of life is that the deep deep challenges that I've been through have been the the highest call to the the most powerful transformation Mm -hmm. so when I was willing to confront myself in the trauma the loss the illness Mm -hmm. the grief like all of it those are the times that I have evolved most powerfully into the person that I am becoming, have become, whatever, mm-hmm. time, space, you know, all of those things. Yeah. Um, but but that, I think, is something that is harder to find resources around um, people, communities, and, and individual support networks where people are really invited to mm-hmm. connect deeply with themselves through these journeys. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a lot of the holistic practitioners and providers who are moving into doulaship, for example, or like yoga, those are the people where you're, if you're looking locally, where you Mm -hmm. might find some really valuable resources within your community. Yeah. That's a really helpful tip. Thank you so much. I think it's like so ridiculous that the common denominator, like the one thing that we're all going to end up facing is death, but then it becomes some isolating experience. Like what the hell to back to your original point (laughs) at the very beginning that it's like, we were so much more supported by our communities in this time, like whatever that, whatever our timing is. Right. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, that we can bring it back to that. And again, have a holistic approach, a full, an, um, what did you say? A whole person centered approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. Liz, thank you so much for your time today. Thank I you. really, really appreciate you. Time is valuable, as you know. So I just appreciate you giving it to us. And um, sure. Yeah. For you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, sweet. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And to all of your listeners, thank you very much for listening. Yes. I look forward to hearing from any of you guys on any of our accounts. If you ever want to reach out, feel free. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Take care. Bye.